We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Rotoviz College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Stephon LeCoe. Joined today, uh, as always, uh, with a lovely and wonderful, brilliant Matthew Wispe. This podcast is being brought to you by Roman, and we'll tell you all about them in a little bit. But before we do that, congratulations on your Buckeyes uh, narrowly, narrowly escaping the jaws of of defeat and death. Um, not really. Still a double digit win. <laughs> I know, I know. It was it, you. You never really even got that nervous, in all honesty. So, so it was good. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just uh, we can we can release the DMs at some point of Matt saying he's going to vomit 3000 times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but before we get into the recap of some of the games we previewed and, of course, our locks, we're going to we're going to do all that. But but before we do that, uh, I'm curious, what are some of the the bowls that you're most looking forward to? Because it is bowl season, my friend. So, I mean, I, I, I think. Well, I'll skip the the obvious answer for me, which is obviously Clemson Ohio State. One of the games I'm really looking forward to is this um, Outback Bowl between Auburn and Minnesota, partially because I I kind of think it's almost it's a no win situation for Minnesota, right? Because it'll be the oh the SEC came out flat, they didn't care about this game, blah 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 for Auburn. But it is a real opportunity for PJ Flick to end this season on a high note, and I think. If I'm just being honest, I think they have a pretty decent chance in this game because if they can score points early, and I'm not really convinced they can, but if they're able to get out to an early lead, they're a decent enough team that they should be able to hold off an Auburn offense, which is, quite frankly, iffy at best and is definitely inconsistent. So I think that's one game I'm really looking forward to. Um, The other one... I'm going to steal yours because I know it's on your list um, is Oregon and Wisconsin is going to be a banger of a game. I cannot wait to watch that one. Um, 
it's probably two of the five best offensive lines in all of college football. And yeah. um, I, I understand that Ohio State has run all over them a couple of times, but Wisconsin's run defense is, in fact, very legit. And they play solid defense. And Oregon's going to have a tough time with it. And I'm looking forward to that one because, I mean, it's not a matchup. I I don't feel like we've seen this stylistic matchup recently, and it, it'll be fun. Yeah, no, I think that's a good one. I uh, I do want to you 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 skipped over the Fiesta Bowl rather quickly there. We've got two undefeated teams playing in a non-national championship game, so that means we had three <laughs> we had three undefeated teams this year. What do you think would have happened? I mean, can you imagine the chaos that would have taken place, the absolute outrage if this was a pre bowl time or excuse me pre-playoff time where only two teams got to play in the national championship who do you think they would have picked i mean obviously um ohio state is two and clemson is three do you think that's how it would have gone do you think they would have left out the defending national championship out of the national championship game if there was only two teams no i don't isn't that crazy could you imagine how how angry you would be right now (laughs) i mean i would probably be pretty pretty angry right now because I think in a BCS scenario, it probably would have been Clemson and LSU, even though, because in the BCS model, there was in, despite the fact that there was a system in place to help reduce the bias level of the computer and was the computer wasn't supposed, was very unbiased in its method. Defending national champions were given a little more benefit of the doubt in the AP poll because it mattered more when there were only two teams. And so this team that is on a 27 game win streak or whatever they're on would have likely been ranked number one in the poll for the better part of the year, just because they don't, it didn't stay in a vacuum quite as much back then. And even though this Ohio state team is objectively better than both of them, because they're both trash and Ohio state's going to win a title. Um, (laughs) Um, even though I think I, I think Ohio State's the best team um, of the bunch, I do think they would have been the one left out. And it's yeah. just because of really difficult situations of if you're going to say LSU's resume is better, and I will argue tooth and nail that I don't believe it's better, um, they wouldn't have gotten the bump over Clemson that they normally or that they would in this system. So that's why we have the playoff. And yeah, thank all God. The people who, and truthfully, for all the people clamoring for eight. If we went to eight this year, Baylor would be a playoff team. Georgia yeah. would be a playoff team. Like I, I understand it would have put your Oregon team in and it would have been really fun. You just would have gotten probably killed in a first round matchup against, well, I mean, if you played against Oklahoma, maybe not, but you probably get crushed by the top three teams anyway. And it just would have delayed the inevitable of we're getting LSU, we're getting Clemson and we're getting Ohio state competing for a national championship. Yeah. I think this year it it's a mute point for sure. Um, to, some of the bowl games I'm most excited about. Uh, one of them, it's it's kind of a weird one because it's so off-brand for me because I think it has the second lowest uh, total right now for for all of the, the bowl games, and that's Georgia-Baylor. The over-under on that is like 41 and a half, uh, which, is, <laughs> which is pretty low. And uh, I might still be uh, tempted to, uh, to tell people to take the under on that one. But I think that could be a fun game, just a defensive showdown between two really, really impressive teams. Uh, Baylor kind of, unexpectedly so in Georgia. I'm curious what they'll have to play for in that one. So I am curious about that one. Of course, the Rose Bowl, as you mentioned, with Oregon and Wisconsin is, is going to be um, super fun as well. I, I'm curious to see if uh, Verdell can get going in that game. 
Um, he's been just so awesome this year. And I'm, I'm curious if, if Wisconsin is going to be able to slow him down. Uh, the other one that I'm really excited about is a Las Vegas bowl, uh, Boise state, Washington, I think will be really interesting. Um, of course, Jimmy Lake is going to be taking over the Washington Huskies, which is, I don't think we, I don't think that news had broke before, before we talked last time. Yes. That's, yeah. yeah, so that's, that's, that's the news. <laughs> Coach Peterson out at Washington by his, by his own choice. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how, how his last game goes there. I'm pretty sure he's going to be coaching that game. And, and Boise state's been kind of up and down this year, but been pretty solid. Um, unless I, unless I was picking them against the spread, they were doing well. So uh, I'm, I am excited about that one. And uh, one more game that uh, I'm kind of intrigued by, um, just because I, I don't actually know why I'm interested in this game, but I, I am curious to see uh, what happens in the Michigan-Alabama game. Uh, we were talking right before we hit record about how Alabama is likely not going to have a, a bunch of players playing in that game. But uh, to me, I'm curious to see what Michigan is, to see if they actually are. Uh, did, did they actually improve this year, or was it just um, you know uh, the Big Ten's softer part of the schedule and then being able to exploit some, uh, some defense? I feel this. gross, but I probably will be rooting for Michigan in that game. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I understand these things. I mean, just be, well, I mean, if we're being honest about the way that the system is, is there's a lot of benefit to being overranked in the preseason polls and the SEC for the last decade has had this benefit of the doubt thing yeah. where these teams that are questionable are ranked higher. And then you start to get this LSU effect where it's, we beat five top 10 teams. Well, one of them was Texas or like you get the, it, that's that's a bad example, but like it's happened year over year over year. It's like Texas A&M was propped up as a good win for like five teams right. because they started off the year in the top 10. They weren't a top 10 team. No one thought they were a top 10 team. They were never close to a top 10 team at any point in the year, but because they started off there, all these teams had these propped up wins that boost some as the year go on. So it's sort of this like interesting dynamic of, I really am rooting for the powerhouse teams of the Big Ten to go out there and have these good performances. If Michigan comes out and lays an egg like they did last year, I will actually be disappointed. And I rooted for it last yeah. year. <laughs> no, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, you mentioned the Minnesota-Auburn game. That one is also intriguing to me uh, for the same reasons. I'm just curious how good this Minnesota team is. After getting uh, dismantled by Wisconsin, it'll be Interesting to see what they have left. Uh, before we jump into uh, talking about uh, last week's games, I want to talk to you a little bit about, um, you know, it's kind of Debbie related here, but uh, some some underclassmen have already declared for the draft, and I thought it would be interesting to just get your thoughts on a few of them here. Um, the first one that I want to talk about uh, is my boy, Hunter Bryant. We've talked about him, tight end for Washington. We've talked about him quite a bit this year. He uh, was second on the Huskies in receptions with 52, uh, but number one in total yards with 825. Kind of interesting that a tight end uh, leads your team in total yards uh, from a receiving perspective. Uh, that might be part of the reason why they are uh, – uh, not as we're not as good as they were hoping to be this year. Uh, he had three touchdowns, which is not, not great, but was uh, tied for second in the team. So Hunter Bryant entering a position that can be difficult to project uh, at tight end uh, when, when kind of going into the NFL and knowing when to really buy into it uh, for you. If you're looking at uh, like, say you're doing a startup Debbie draft um, or just a rookie draft for, for a rookie draft, where do you think Hunter Bryant is going to fall in like a 12 team league? Do you think he goes top three rounds or do you think he's a, a late round flyer type of a rookie draft? He'll be top three rounds. Um, I don't know if he's special. I don't know if he's 
like OJ Howard in the way that he'll be regarded as a prospect or like Noah fan or Hawkinson. I doubt he's going to be pushing that first round range, but he's such an interesting prospect in the fact of he has a high pedigree. He was a high four-star uh, high school prospect. He comes from a good school, um, <clears throat> played good competition. And I mean, his final season numbers are, are really impressive and we know he is athletic, yeah. so he should get a combine bump. Um, he was a 28% market share of yards guy this year. Um, if I'm going to point to something that's a little bit concerning, I'm going to say he only scored three touchdowns. Um, yeah. That's it's a little bit of a, a, a sticking point for me because I, I'm looking for my tight end to, to kind of be a touchdown score. If I'm, um, pushing them for fantasy because a lot of their value does come from that red zone area. So I think a lot of it will come down to how well he performs in the combine because we are expecting such good athleticism out of him. If he can go and put up uh, a good 40 time, if he does well in a lot of the drills and uh, oddly bench presses uh, has a lot of correlation to your lasting effect in the NFL. So if he can kind of go put up numbers in those categories of the combine of those events, he should be able to elevate his draft stock. I, I mean, I think he's a top two day pick. And if you're a top two day pick and you're a competent receiver, you tend to be look in that in that top three round range. If he slips down, if he if he does for some reason really slip up in the combine and he falls to day three, yeah, push him all the way out of those top three rounds. But I would say if he gets a, even a halfway respectable landing spot in the first two days of the draft, he's definitely a guy you should be looking at because there do seem to be quite a few of the things that you look for there. And I mean, it, he, he probably won't hit for two years, but if he does hit, it, he should have a good effect. Yeah. Who, who are some of the guys you were excited, uh, excited to, to see on this list? So I'm going to I'm going to start this off with a name that uh you probably wouldn't expect and that's because I'm way into group of 5 this year and Gabriel that's Gabriel Davis. Davis. Yeah, he's buddy. my dude. Um I was I've been, kind of been following him all year. He's been a guy that um Well, he, you've written about him a couple times too. Several times. Yeah. Um they've been, this was a guy that I was a big fan of. He had 815 yards last year and seven touchdowns. So he was kind of their leading option coming into the year and then when I thought him and Oh, I'm blanking on his name. Knox, not Knox. Uh, so Trey Nixon. Trey Nixon was the other guy. Trey Nixon, I thought, was eventually going to be the one to take over because he was a highly regarded transfer player who would actually uh, start off the year with a few big games. But Davis actually was the one who took over. 1,241 yards, had a, a really good number uh, on yards per reception at 17.2, which shows he is capable of stretching the field. 12 touchdowns and he had a true breakout season with a 0.34 dominator. Um, so, and, and if you're looking, if you are a yardage guy, cause you think touchdowns are fluky, he had 0.32 uh, market or 0.32 market share of receiving yards. It's a great number to see. He looks like he could be legit. Um, I like that he's coming out as a junior and if he goes and performs well in the combine, I, I mean, this is a deep draft, but this is a guy that I think has the potential to, like really make an impact and sh- I, I think it with a good combine is a top two day pick. Yeah. And, and real quick, I don't think we mentioned it, but Gabriel Davis, uh wide receiver for UCF central Florida. Yeah, so, no, 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 no problem. Uh, we've talked about him a lot. Me. So I know you and I know these things, but uh just for people who maybe missed that episode or, or didn't catch that, that article you wrote on him. Uh, yeah. I knew he was one that you would like. Uh, Jalen Rieger is a guy who, 
I think um, our boy Jordan talked about quite a bit. Uh, wide receiver for TCU. I thought that one was exciting as well. Not really a surprise. Him and LaVishka Chenault from Colorado. I think it's a couple wide receivers that we expected to come out. Of, of those three receivers, uh, Rieger, Chenault, and, and Davis, which one do you think uh, should be drafted first by an NFL team? Rieger. Rieger. And do you think Rieger. he ha- does he have the highest value from a Debbie perspective for you? I mean, if, it, if you're in a dynasty league, Rieger, it, at least right now, um, because as we all know, draft capital is probably the biggest defi- or biggest determining factor for a receiver's chances. Um, he looks like he could be a fringe first-round pick, um, and he looks like he'll probably be back half of the first round if he does go, and he has the best market share numbers, really, of any of them, um, and he broke out as a sophomore. So young breakout age, um, went to, uh, in the Big 12, um, and finished off with a fine year. It was a little disappointing with only a 0.25 market share, but he was a, looks like a real prospect. And again, his draft capital appears to be there. Now I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that um, I think that LaVisca Chenault isn't, doesn't have potentially more upside. Chenault might be great. And there are a lot of people who think Chenault's going to be one of the top receivers taken. He really was disappointing to me this year. um, And I understand that injuries happen, but he really wasn't. He didn't appear to be the same usage level guy that he was the previous year, and that's concerning because the biggest thing that was uh, intriguing about him was the fact that the team was so adamant about getting him the ball no matter what. And with that falling off a little bit, I and the fact that he's dealing with injuries, I do think his draft capital is going to take a hit. Yeah. So I, he fell for me this year. Yeah, no, no, that's that's fair. Uh, let's uh, talk real quick about the about three running backs that that declared. We've got. Uh, Anthony McFarland from Maryland. We've got AJ Dillon from Boston College, and then of course we have pour one out. What's that? I said, should I pour one out for Eno? Yeah, Benjamin? and Eno Benjamin. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I, he's not dead, but he's definitely like Eno Benjamin. We all came into this season thinking Eno Benjamin was one of the guys that could have a breakout year, and for some reason, Arizona State just wanted to pass the ball. And it was weird because last year all they wanted to do was give the ball to Eno Benjamin. And this year they were so excited for Jaden Daniels to lead them to the future. And um, it hurt Benjamin's stock, and that's it's disappointing. Uh, he just wasn't the same guy. I'm quickly going to pull his, his numbers up so I don't uh, tell you guys wrong on this. But he went from 1,600 yards in 2018 all the way down to 1,083. And really concerning in that is he was only averaging 4.3 yards per carry. Yeah. So if you're looking for a bright spot for Benjamin, his his receiving workload improved quite a bit, but he doesn't look like he's overly big. So I, I think his numbers in the combine are going to be pretty important about size. He'll probably have fake weight on, would be my guess. He'll probably pack some of the water weight on, but he still also needs to test really well. So if he doesn't run well, I actually think his stock is going to plummet pretty hard. With the depth of the running backs in this year's class, I think that Eno Benjamin might be a day three pick. And had you said that to me at the beginning of the year, I would have called you crazy. Yeah, with I think especially with the depth in this class, it, it could be it could be hard times for him. What do you think about uh, AJ Dillon and McFarland? Two guys that we didn't really talk too much about uh, this year. I mean, partially because of the the respective teams they play for, Maryland and uh, Boston College. But what do you think of these guys as far as uh, getting to the next level? 
AJ Dillon's a pretty much a freak athlete. So I, I mean, I think he's going to go out there and crush the combine. And he's also already proven he's a capable workhorse back. He did start to get utilized in the uh, passing game a little bit more, 13 receptions for the year. So just over one per game. No team is going to mistake him for a uh, Gio Bernard type, but he is going to be a guy that is capable of being on the field long enough. So if you're Dylan is probably my favorite of those two, um, just because I think his athleticism is going to be a standout. Uh, But if switching over to Anthony McFarlane, McFarlane, if you guys will recall the, reason that he's such a star where was such a star coming into this year and why people thought he was going to have an amazing year was they all pointed to that Ohio state game. He was the guy that torched Ohio state. He had two 75 yard runs and he just showed real explosiveness. And I still think that explosiveness is there. And I think that there's a chance that a team will see him as a, a, as a flyer pick. But I, I also think he's probably now starting to fall into that day three range. He only averaged 5.4 yards per carry only amassed, 614 yards on the year and really wasn't even a heavy reception guy. Uh, 17 receptions for 126 yards over the course of the year. There are a lot of questions about him. I think he got out because he didn't think that his stock was going to get any higher in this Maryland team. Right. So he's trying to just get to the, get to the NFL so he can eventually get to a second contract. If you're looking at him though, I think, I think he's a day three pick at this point, which hurts my heart because I, I wanted him to be, a second rounder, but I, I just think he's fallen off a cliff at this point. So Dylan, I think has real potential to be in a day two pick, but the other two I think are now solidly in that hope that the right coach drafts them and hope they fall into a good situation. Right. And, and of course, as we know, there are, there are players that, that go late and end up creating a, a job for themselves. And the, like a guy like Chris Carson, you know, like seventh round Oklahoma state, he ends up being able to now who knows what happens if Rashad Penny doesn't blow his ACL uh, last week, but, but for the most part of this year, it was, it was Carson's job. So, I mean, there, there is a path to relevance in the NFL, even for guys going late. So it's not a death sentence, but it definitely, like you say, it's a lot easier when a team invests high draft capital. It's a lot easier for you to find playing time. Uh, last guy I want to talk about before we, before we move on, that's a quarterback, Jordan love. Uh, he was someone that uh, I would, was doing my one of my very first Debbie leagues this this last off season, and I uh, was I was trying to figure out what I was going to do about the quarterback position. And Jordan Love was a guy that I think you recommended to me. So so now we've got a, a season behind us. What what are your thoughts on on, on Love? Um, I recommended him last year or coming into the year because he really was. I mean, he was great. He was a really 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 good quarterback last season, and he had looked like he was just on the fringe of what was at that time considered to be a top three, which was Herbert, um, Tua, and Jake Fromm. And he was kind of the next guy. Obviously, in one year of college football, a lot of things can change. One of the things that changed for him is that it looked like the loss of Matt Wells' system at Utah State really affected him. Now, the numbers I'm going to read off aren't bad, but there's there's one, one thing that stands out this year uh, that was a pretty massive drop-off. He had completed 60.6% of his passes for 3,085 yards, averaged 7.1 yards per attempt, which was a 6.2 adjusted yards per attempt. It all sounds fine, and those numbers on face value aren't bad. But what the critical thing on this one was, he had 17 touchdowns and 16 interceptions. Yeesh. That number is terrifying. Yeah. Um, and when you compare his, even just his AYA and that same ratio, 
Uh, he was a 9.4 adjusted yards per attempt in 2018, and he had 32 touchdowns and six interceptions. Wow. Clearly the system either was working against him this year in a way that he just it was no longer a good fit for him, or he just wasn't the prospect we thought he was. Uh, but I am actually happy to see him declare, mostly because he had put out there that he was either going to, to declare or he was going to transfer to one of these schools. And he listed off all these schools like Oklahoma and Houston. And I don't want him to go to Oklahoma because I want Spendler, Spencer Rattler season to start. So <laughs> yeah, I'm selfish and I want I want that joy. So um, I think it's probably the right move. He strikes me as the kind of guy that, I mean, realistically – Tom Brady has to retire soon. He really looks done. Um, And he strikes me as the kind of guy that has the tools to go learn behind Tom Brady for a year. And if he does have the ability to be an NFL quarterback, that's the the team that could bring it out. And and he does, he does have a lot of tools. So let's hope he goes to a good situation. I, I still like him. I really do still like him. If, if there's someone in your Debbie league that is really hesitant about him at this point, it's worth firing off a late round offer and just see what they give. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. And of course we know quarterbacks are uh, overvalued in, in the NFL draft. So I'm sure he will have pretty decent draft capital. Uh, of course it's always different. It's always team dependent in the NFL where, where he goes, but yeah, I think interesting uh, to, to think about him going and, and sitting behind a guy like, like Brady or even maybe an Aaron Rodgers or something like that and, uh, yeah. and see what develops course green bay's a whole different kind of shit show right now so yeah but their offensive line is in, is, is pretty pretty damn good yeah they have an ohio state center yeah there you go yeah for, for fantasy football purposes we do love it when when players declare as underclassmen uh because coming out early uh leads to two good things typically but uh, as we all know coming early is not always a good thing and uh, that's why i want to talk to you about our friends over at roman now talking about erectile dysfunction or other issues that take place uh, during uh, sexual encounters can be really difficult. Usually we just brush brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I've just lost my mojo, or we just avoid it altogether. We tell our significant others that we just had a long day at work, and we're just not feeling up for it. We, We don't want to put ourselves in those situations that can be uncomfortable. Well, with Roman, it's super easy to talk about. You get to talk to a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED or PE, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is super simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but there's Roman now. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. Seriously, guys, life is too short. You don't want to you don't want to miss out on some of the joys of life because you're too nervous or afraid to talk about it. Uh, use Roman uh, to, to, to help you out. And you will not be sorry. Let's get into the recap of last week's games. We had the uh, conference championships. Let's start with the Friday game because it was the best game. Uh, We had Utah versus Oregon uh, down in Santa Clara. 
Utah was was favored. I told you guys I thought uh, you should bet on Oregon. I said Oregon might even be able to 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 squeak out a victory here. And oh, buddy, did they ever! They won fifteen to thirty seven. Uh, Verdell had an awesome game. He had two hundred yards and three touchdowns. Uh, one of those touchdowns was a seventy yarder right after Utah scored. And, and all I started getting nervous. I was at the airport in Austin watching this game, and uh, Utah scored scored a touchdown and. It was a beautiful pass, uh, beautiful pass uh, caught in the end zone. Uh, really great play for Utah. And I was like, oh, no, here it comes. Oregon's uh, losing focus. Utah's going to get back in this game, and it's going to be close. And then Verdell busted off that 70-yard touchdown and just put it out of reach. It was a beautiful thing. Uh, what, what did you think about this Pac-12 championship? So, I mean, I really did expect Utah to take this game. Um, <clears throat> as Jordan and I had kind of been talking about all year, this Utah team looked on paper to be incredibly underrated and really undervalued but boy did they not come out to play and i'm not sure if i'm like i if the final score really represents how this game was because utah did really kind of claw back into it and they there was at least one point in the second half where it looked like it was it was 15 to 23 yeah it was i was getting nervous there were some real moments in this game where it looked like they might get back into it so but at the very beginning of the game, it was Oregon came down and scored, and then the next drive they stopped Utah on a fourth down. Yeah, fourth I and two, I think. Yeah, yeah. And when they did that, because if you can't get a fourth and two with Zach Moss, the most violent runner in all of college football, the game's gonna be a struggle. And it just when it got to seventeen, it it never really felt like Utah had a chance. It sort of felt like we were getting into that avalanche. Now, mind you, they, they kind of proved me wrong in that they came back and really continued to fight, but there were definitely moments in this game where it seemed like Oregon was just so much the superior team. Right. And it does, it, always, it plays to what I, I mean, what I've tended to believe in a lot of college football, which is yes, coaching can make you a lot better team and coaching can sometimes take you up a notch from where your skill level is. But at the end of the day, there's when there's a there's a talent gap there, it sometimes can show in a big way, and it showed in this one. Oregon is a more talented team than Utah, and when they came to play and were at their best, Oregon was just always going to win this game. And I don't whether that was partially because of Utah not being ready early, whether that was because um, Oregon was a lot better um, player for player. I, I don't know, but. I mean, I was impressed. I thought this Oregon team, it it made you just really disappointed that they dropped a game to Arizona State because they would have been a lot more fun to have. Tell me about it. (laughs) Tell me about it. They would have been a lot more fun than this Oklahoma team, which I'm really dreading watching. I think part of the reason it felt like OU, uh, excuse me, UO, Oregon was was so dominant, even though it was only 20-0, is they were settling. They settled for, let's see, a 23, a 30, and a like 27 yard field goal. So they were kicking really short field goals instead of uh, scoring touchdowns to, to for a lot of the game. So, you know, that's, that's getting inside the 15 yard line and not being able to, to, to cash it in. And that made me super, super nervous. I was like, Oh no. Uh, but one of the key key guys for me was uh true freshman Thibodeau, who was one of the, I think he was the number one recruit in all of uh, coming out last year of high school uh, and uh, defensive end. He had a block, punt he was just causing all kinds of chaos in uh yeah in, in utah's backfield it was it was a really great game for him yeah i'm curious to see what oregon can do against wisconsin i i think right now wisconsin is favored 
I'm gonna <laughs> I'm I'm gonna be putting money on Oregon pretty soon here because that's one of those games that I I could see the public getting on Oregon and that line shrinking. So uh, interesting though. Let's um, let's head over to your 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 neck of the woods there in the Big Ten Conference Championship game. We had Wisconsin. Ohio State, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Wisconsin came out um, like gangbusters. They really, they really looked uh, pretty, pretty good uh, to start the game. I was never nervous, though. Like we said earlier, I, I never really thought that uh, that Ohio State would lose the game. Uh, but twenty-one-seven at halftime—that was surprising. So everyone knows this. Ohio State has one game per year where they just seem to not show up. And it's weird that we all, no one expected it in this game because the scenario was perfect. It was a non-home game. They were a two-touchdown favorite, and they kind of had nothing to lose because they'd already clinched their playoff spot. I threw really heavy air quotes on that, but they'd already clinched their playoff spot. Right. And when Wisconsin comes down the field and scores, I'm not nervous. Now, I was annoyed because I did have a player prop on Jonathan Taylor to stay under 99 and a half yards <laughs> and he broke a 40 yard run on the first play or on the first drive. I was like, well, cool. I guess I can tear up that ticket. Um, it was, it was frustrating because the defense just, it was missing spots that they normally don't miss. And it was the simple things that they were getting beat on. And that was annoying because they, they shouldn't have fallen behind the way they did, but then it kind of worked itself out. The offense struggled early, but then once they sort of fell into the rhythm, um, they were moving the ball at will at the end of the half. They, they drove down the field comfortably scored seven points. Even if that touchdown probably shouldn't have counted. Um, or was it that one? Either way, uh, they score seven points. Great. We've got a seven point game going into halftime and it sounds like, Oh, we're, we're in good shape. That stupid before the half <laughs> right. drive. That huge run. Wisconsin, I nearly broke my window. I was so angry about it because you, if you stop Jonathan Taylor for three yards on that first run that you know is going to be a Jonathan Taylor run, they're going to basically run the same play up the middle three times, let the clock run out, and we're all going to half down by seven. But they let up a 40-yard run. I don't know how that happens. <laughs> and it makes me frustrated because it, like, whatever. It, it, it made me frustrated. Now, that was the first game because the second game was the second half because it was a completely different game. Um, for all the issues that Ohio State did have, they realized very quickly that the way they were going to, the only thing that Wisconsin was going to be able to do passing-wise in the game was that slant route to Cephas. Um, partially that was because Jeffrey Okuda missed most of the first half Part of it was because they were trying to play man up, and one of the ways to beat it was to just go with these quick slant routes, quick slant routes when they will never get pressure. Well, they dropped into a zone, and he was no longer able to find that slant route, which allowed the pass rush to get there. I loved it. I loved that Jeff Halfley made that adjustment at halftime, and the team was able to figure it out. And I think it is worth noting that while Wisconsin did come out and absolutely dominate that first half, in the second half, Ohio State, until the final drive, which was garbage time against mostly backups, um, until that moment, they had held them to 23 yards of offense in the second half. Yeah, wow. Ohio State's defense really, really is good, and it really isn't like I. For the last two games, they've been trying to pick apart, or a lot of media have been trying to pick apart this defense, saying, "See, it's not as good. It's not unequivocally better than LSU's. It is, 
but they just have these letdown spots and they have these letdown spots. And once they correct, Ohio State shuts teams down. And it's a way that, I mean, when you're down 21-7, you're not supposed to almost cover a 16 and a half point spread. And there was a point you and I were texting that I was holding an Ohio State minus 15 and a half ticket that I thought I was going to cash. And I believe my response was at this point, I think the the odds are in your favor because Ohio State had the ball. They were up by two scores at that point, And I thought they were going to score again. I think they're up by 10 or something. Yeah. Yeah. It looked like they were going to go down and put another uh, score, another touchdown. They settled for a field goal. And that was pretty much the end of the the covering yeah. uh, part of this game. But it was, I mean, it was a good game. I give Wisconsin a lot of credit. Jonathan Taylor uh, impressed me a little bit. I still don't. Uh, there are people who will argue he's the running back one. He's really not the one in this class for me, but he does show some explosiveness and I do think he's going to run well. So I don't have to tell you to keep an eye on him. He's going to be one of the top five picks. Who's but your number one? ETN. Yeah, for sure. No matter what, no hesitation. You've seen enough. I, it's Swift could get there. I think if Swift crushes the combine, I think he could get there. But Travis Etienne really impressed me this year, and he he got pretty heavy usage in the um, in the passing game. And when I, I actually put side by side, because the argument against Taylor or the argument against Etienne compared to Taylor was that Taylor was a much thicker running back. And I actually side by side looked at their weight, and they're only a couple of pounds difference. So. If Etienne it does come in and like weigh around like two oh five, two ten range, it's gonna be really hard because he's just so explosive. So <laughs> this is really sad, but in in one of my uh lo- my my longest standing like home league that I'm in, um I had my absolutely worst season ever. Um because uh, my I just bust after bust on that team, a lot of injuries, unfortunate realities. Uh, but I ha- I have the number one overall pick, and I'm so excited because like you keep you keep like four players, uh, so I'll have I think I've got Saquon Barkley, uh, Devonte Adams, and Michael Thomas, and yes, somehow I am got the first overall pick because <laughs> I I also had like Carry on Johnson. Same. Yeah, um, but anyway, I'm so excited that I have that first pick. I'm just like. I can't wait to decide between Etienne Swift and uh, I think it's going to be Etienne. I just, I've just enjoyed him so much, but anyway, every time I watch Clemson, I just smile, <laughs> uh, but let's, let's move on to the sec championship here real quick. Uh, actually, I suppose a more natural transition would be Clemson. <laughs> Why don't we talk about Clemson? I, I, I thought the line was way too big and they ended up putting up 62 on Virginia and uh, crushed that number. I didn't watch a down of this game, to be honest with you. Uh, did you, did you catch any of this? I did. I I watched early because obviously the game kind of ran into the Ohio State game. But so I watched the first couple of drives. And this is actually why I'm not overly concerned about Clemson. I do think they're awesome. I do think they're a very, very, very good team. Bryce Perkins found a lot of holes in that team early on. And he was able to move the ball. I believe he got down to the 20-ish yard line um, in the first drive of the game and then threw a pick. And then he went down and tied the game up at seven. So I do think this defense has some holes in it. But, I mean, it's stupid analysis if you sit here and say that this game was ever in doubt. Um, Virginia really just got overwhelmed at a certain point. And once they started going, Clemson was never going to be stopped. We just talked about him. Travis Etienne, 114 yards on 14 carries, 8.1 yards per carry. Had a touchdown. Love it. Did have a catch. It was uh, but nine yards, so really uneventful. T. Higgins, holy crap. Yeah. Uh, nine receptions, 182 yards, 20 yards a catch, uh, three touchdowns. Yep. 
Um, Justin Ross, 94 yards um, on three receptions and a touchdown. Love it. He's those are the I mean, those are the two receivers they should have been using last year. I hate you, Hunter Renfro. Hate you, hate you, hate you. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I think the, the biggest takeaway from the game is they've got really, really good wide receivers. They have a lot of good wide receivers because the, I haven't even mentioned um, really any of them other than, I mean, the top two. But you can go down that list and they've got five star freshmen who have made impacts this year. They've got. Um, guys who have been around the program for a while who can't see the field but would be starters anywhere else. And just, I mean, we haven't even said his name yet, but Trevor Lawrence, 302 yards on just 16 completions. Yeah. uh, Four touchdowns. Incredible. Every sixth pass he threw in this game was a touchdown. That's stupid. He's very, very good at football. He's the second best one in his bowl game, but he is very good. uh, Second best (laughs) I, it's going to be fun. I'm. I actually am really looking forward to it. I think they're the I, they're the second best team in the country because I do think Ohio State's better. But the only thing that has me worried, and this is something that has ever since Oregon got me shook, was Utah. I thought was this amazing team, but they didn't play anyone. And when they played someone real, they got run off the field. And the one the one nice wording I heard this week was. The gap between whether you call it Michigan or Wisconsin and Clemson is a lot smaller than Virginia and Ohio State. Right. So Clemson hasn't seen anything close to Ohio State, whereas Ohio State has at least in pieces seen probably everything that they're going to get thrown at them in this game because they've seen big receivers. They've seen capable quarterbacks. They've seen good defenses. So they've seen an amalgamation of what Clemson can bring. Clemson has not seen that yet. And it's going to be interesting to see because either Clemson's going to get overwhelmed early or it it might be a game where they run away with it. Right. And I mean, if you look at Clemson's schedule, like who, who was the toughest team they played? Like Texas A&M, you know, week two. I mean, it's probably A&M and it, I mean that we've, we've talked about this, that A&M team was incredible overrated right i think they were ranked 12 at the time they ended up the season seven and five i mean yeah um yeah it'll be interesting uh let's talk a little bit about baylor oklahoma this one i i had i had some money on um ou minus eight i was so disappointed hurts is like a turnover machine all of a sudden and uh it hurts me hurts and so here's the thing i don't care that this game was close, really. Like I don't. I, I'm if I'm if I'm Oklahoma, I walk away with this and say, "Hey, we got to win against a Baylor team. We scored points that when we needed to." Blah 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 blah. Anyone who was touting Oklahoma's defense, you almost lost this game, and they were playing with their third string. Yeah, Zeno. <laughs> like Zeno had two very long oh, plays dude. against the. He threw some bombs. He had two completions and 160 yards. I mean, bombs. I mean, for what I mean, we can sit here and say that OU's defense has improved, and it sure looks like it's average now, and that's good. That's what you want if you're an OU team. But their offense isn't what it was. I mean, their offense isn't running like it was with Kyler. It isn't running like it was with Baker. Sure, Jalen Hurts has all the talent and brings a running element that you're really excited to watch. But I mean, 
He threw the ball 24 times, 17 completions, 287 yards, one touchdown and a pick. Those numbers shouldn't stand out to you. They're nothing special for him. He should be putting up more points than that in this game. Well, and the crazy thing too is he he had 38 rushes on 23 carries. Like, and I know some of those, you know, a couple of sacks and whatnot, but he just wasn't able to to run the ball effectively either. And I kept getting frustrated because they kept doing that little like uh like Kennedy Brooks would kind of like lead block for him and he'd try to like do like a power run behind him. And it just would get you three to four yards every single time. And with his risk of fumbling or getting hurt, I just didn't understand it. I uh, I was frustrated with this game just because I had money on it. I agree with you. I think if you're an Oklahoma fan, you're happy because they they did what they needed to do to get into the playoff. Uh, but I think I think they're going to uh, I think they're going to be severely outmanned in. Uh, in I the think final. If, if you're hoping if you're hoping LSU and Oklahoma is like Georgia and Oklahoma a couple of years ago, and it just turns into the shootout where it goes back and forth and back and forth. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but this Oklahoma team cannot hang in that level. They're going to want to. They're going to play a game where they're going to try and ball control and just not uh, give possessions to the LSU offense. It, it's weird. Um, we thought Oklahoma was going to be the aesthetically pleasing team of all of them, and honestly, they're the least fun to watch. Yep, I agree. Um, let's talk about the SEC championship game, uh, Georgia. It's could not keep up with LSU. This game, I think, kind of went how we thought it would i don't actually remember uh what your preview was but i i didn't anticipate georgia really being able to hang too well uh lsu i mean it was it was semi-close for a while it took lsu a little bit of time to really get clicking on offense uh but once they did my goodness this game got out of hand in a hurry um let's see here it was yeah 14 to 3 going into right, right after the second quarter started uh but then uh yeah pretty pretty soon there lsu just went on a run uh they scored a Scored in bunches, and and uh, Georgia just couldn't keep up. Uh, what was your big takeaway from this one? And uh, do you think do you think LSU has any reason to be nervous about Oklahoma? I'm going to answer the second question first. No, they shouldn't be worried about Oklahoma. Their offense can score with anyone, so they'll be fine. Um, my takeaway from this game, this was I, – I honestly felt like there were basically two outcomes in this game that were going to play out. Either Georgia was going to muddy – or ugly the game up, keep it super close and win, or it was going to be an avalanche and LSU was going to run away with the game. So credit to Georgia for fighting, credit to him for actually giving uh, real defensive pressure on Joe Burrow. Burrow actually had to make some plays under pressure, which he hasn't had to do as much all year. And they did. They forced him to make plays. But Joe Burrow is really good at football, and he, he made the plays. So credit to him, credit to LSU. They scored a bunch of points. I just am not overly impressed with it because this is kind of the outcome I expected. Right. I I thought it was going to be this way. My other takeaway from this game is I'm really sad for Jake Fromm. On face value alone, this game isn't super terrible. Yeah, two interceptions, it's not great. But what makes this really upsetting to me is this is his fifth straight game under 50% completion percentage. Oosh. He had 44.8 to Missouri 46.4 against Auburn, 47.8 against Texas A&M, 48.3 against Georgia Tech, and 47.6% in this game. That is on, so that's five straight to close out the year. Yeah. Wow. It just disappoints you when you were talking about a kid who was who really was a good quarterback his freshman year and he really was pretty I mean he was a solid quarterback last year. It's it's crazy to think that he's in an offense that seemingly is like actively hindering him. 
And I mean, just on uh, at a, alone, he was a 9.6 adjusted yards per attempt his freshman year, 10.1 last year, dropped all the way down to eight this year. So eight's a fine number. But when you're talking about a guy who was at 10 and he just, just fell off the face of the earth, it sucks. And I don't like seeing it happen to him because I actually did like him coming into this year as the third quarterback. And now I think he would be wise to go back to college. And unfortunately, I'm not sure the offense is going to get any better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's rough. That is rough. Yeah, it's it's also crazy to think that the, the caliber of quarterbacks that he ran out of town because uh, people thought he was the future. And uh, yeah, just seeing him struggle is, is difficult for sure. Uh, let's get into the lock review here. We both had lovely weeks. We both uh, won our weeks. And I'd like you to tell me about some of your picks. And uh, yeah, go for it. So I had Cincinnati plus 10 against Memphis. I actually thought Cincinnati probably should have won this game on the field. They dominated the first half um, and really could have put the game away in the second half, but they were kind of afraid. They played a little bit scared when it got down to uh, they were driving on their last real attempt with the ball. They had a fourth and two and they chose to kick the field goal to go up by one. Don't love to see that. Um, Whatever. Covered easily. Never really a sweat on that part. Uh, App State UL Lafayette over 56 and a half. I'm just going to anecdotally mention the fact that I have a friend who live bet this game while we were sitting at the casino. He bet under 72. Ooh. He lost, <laughs> he lost that bet. Um, so that's for him. Uh, I, I did expect this game to be a lot of scoring, and I was happy to see uh, my analysis was right. UL Lafayette was really not able to stop the run, but they did actually – close late to make it a uh, tight game, which made yours a bit of a sweat. Um, yes. (laughs) And I I had my effort game of the week, which was Ohio state minus 16 and a half. Like I said, I came really close to still covering that, but it's all right. I'll take it two and one on the week. Still well over 500 for the year. Not well over, but over well over. You are well over. You are five games up. I am, I'm crawling back to that range, um, <laughs> slowly, but this week helped. I went, uh, four and one this week. That was really good. I, I mentioned my Oklahoma minus eight, uh, loss, but, but the other ones were all, I also mentioned my Oregon plus six and a half win. So I do a lot of talking up my, uh, my good, my good and my bad here. Uh, the app state game I did have a play on, as you mentioned, I had app state minus six and a half. They ended up winning by a touchdown. That one, like you said, it was, I think at one point it was what, 20? 21 nothing i think it was also 28 7 they were up huge early and a large part i mean evans uh was dominating in the past game he had two receiving touchdowns early and yeah did a lot on a lot of his damage to the air which was which was good to see and we kind of pinpointed him as a player to watch in that game the other one i had was the uh florida atlantic uab game i went with the over 49 and a half as well as FAU minus seven. Uh, to me, this one was, I didn't expect it to be 49 to six. I'll say that much. I thought it'd be a little bit closer. Uh, but yeah, Florida Atlantic just was not ready to, was not ready to roll at all. And uh, yeah, ended up being a, a bloodbath. But uh, I was happy to, uh, to get my, to get my wins there because I, I, I certainly needed them. And if I can have a decent bowl season here, I'll end the year uh, over 500, which would be really nice for me because uh, the guy that wrote of his told me if I don't get over 500, I am not welcome back next, next year. Uh, no, they didn't say that, but they brought you're welcome back because I need an editor. <laughs> yeah, they, they, well, they didn't say that, uh, but but maybe they should have. But but speaking of uh, trying to get get some some wins for the the bowl season uh any any early lines that you're looking at that you that you want to bet before the public sways them one way or the other 
Kind of. I think I am going to end up or on the Ohio State plus two and a half uh, early. S&P Plus has them actually on a neutral field. Got to look for it real fast. S&P Plus has Ohio State as an 8.6 point favorite going into this game. Um, so they're saying the line is off by 11.1 points. I love that in this scenario, although I do, like I've said, there are other things that tend to affect these games. But I just think Ohio State's a really, really good team, and I think that there's a, a good opportunity for them to win this game outright. So catching points with them and the team that I think should be the favorite is always a nice scenario. Uh, I haven't written this down yet. Um, I also kind of like Illinois early um, as a seven-point underdog against Cal. S&P Plus has this line at 6.8 in their favor, so another one that we're off by more than 10 points. So if you're looking at these sides, those are two that I will probably um, be in on. Um, with Ohio State being a lock and actually Illinois just being like a lean. Yeah, with the Ohio State one, do you think that the line could get more favorable for you if you wait? Do you think more people are going to be betting the other side of this? And if you wait, you might get a better number? Or do you early, think- early money is coming in on Clemson right now, but at the same time, casinos have always been pretty hesitant to move Ohio State lines over key numbers. Okay, So it might touch three. I doubt it'll get to three and a half just because Ohio State betters come out heavy. And for as much as Sharps might be in on this Clemson team, when they hit a key number, there will be a lot of money that comes back on Ohio State. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Uh, one that I'm going to try to get on early uh, because I think the line is going to move pretty significantly is SMU FAU. Uh, SMU is uh, favored by three. I think it's already actually moved to three and a half. So I'm going to actually uh, do that as soon as we get off uh off the phone here, I'm going to jump on that and uh, and put some money on SMU. Uh, they were rock solid for for so much of the year. They they had a couple of hiccups uh, later on in the year, but I, I think this should be uh, fairly easy. Florida Atlantic also kind of uh, who knows what's going on coaching wise uh, for that game. Uh, a lot of distractions around. The other one that I'm looking at that I, I might do is um, App State UAB. The over under is 48, and I'm tempted to go the over on that. But we are actually going to have a, a full breakdown. Uh, well, probably not of every bowl game, but we'll do a, a locks or picks for for some of the key games, some some numbers that that we like, some some bets that we're going to be placing, and we'll be doing that next week. Before, uh, let's see, I think the bowl games start on Friday, December twentieth, and we will be recording probably Wednesday or Thursday of next week, so we will have that ready for you. So be on the lookout for that, and uh, we'll 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 see if we end up uh, including these in those locks. Uh, for now, they don't count towards our. Uh, or records because uh, we haven't placed them yet, but uh, we'll let you know what we do with those um, next week. Unless you're locking it in already, unless you're locking in Ohio State at two and a half now, which you're more than welcome to do. Matt, what do you think? Sure. Yeah, I'm gonna lock I'm in gonna, SMU at I'm minus lock. threes as well. So there's two. We got two locks already. So um, that's good. Uh, any any final thoughts before we get going? Enjoy football. It's fun. Yes. Yes. And uh, for all of you uh, still alive in your fantasy football playoffs, it's the semifinal weeks. I'm uh, I, I made it to the playoffs in only four of nine this year, but in all four, I am in the semis. So uh, that made me happy. I feel like that was a little bit better. Uh, I've got a lot of DeAndre Washington. Uh, so now I'm hoping that uh, Josh Jacobs is out at least one more week. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see how that goes. It already sounds like they cleared him for 15. Uh, 
We'll Sorry. see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Wispy the Kid, and I'm at Stay Fun Laco. Uh, do follow us. Uh, also, most importantly, do subscribe to the podcast. Uh, you can do that over um, at our on our on our own feed or over at Road of His Radio. Uh, we we put we post the episodes on both both feeds there. So so check us out. We we don't want you to miss anything, and we'll be back with you either. Thursday or yeah, Wednesday or Thursday of next week. So we look forward to talking to you then. Have a great weekend and enjoy. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.